I'd invite you to take a Bible with me this morning and turn to 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. In just a moment, I'll begin reading at verse 6. But if you weren't with us last week, um, during the first part of this season that we call Ordinary Time, where we are or, uh, ordering our life by the resurrected Christ, we, we're going to spend th- these first several weeks in 2 Corinthians, and then the texts are going to go to Ephesians. But this morning we come to a text that I think has become really important, not just for me, but, but in many ways is the key text for the ways that we've been thinking about and talking about even our community life together. But I want to remind you of what I said last week. Second Corinthians is, is an interesting letter. Paul um, started the Corinthian church early in his ministry, and it turned out to be a real pain in the neck. Um, they fought. They often didn't get it. And so Paul writes his first letter, 1 Corinthians, to them and, and tries to correct them on a number of things and finally encourage them to love each other. We don't know if 2 Corinthians is the second letter Paul wrote to them. It may be the third, fourth, fifth on down the line. But we know this, that he references in the second chapter that he had had a very unpleasant visit with them. And he had gotten together with them and things had not gone all that well And one of those meetings that perhaps got a little bit heated and he left. Um, and so he's writing to them as a way of saying to them, listen, I, I really do love you, and, and my frustration with you is because I love you so much, and I have such high expectations for what Christ is doing in your midst. And he's kind of preparing maybe for another visit and wants to kind of work those things out, but has heard, and this is the key for this text this morning, he has heard that some in the community are beginning to badmouth Paul. They say, why are we listening to that guy in the first place? Oh, sure, he started us. But look at his life. It's a mess. He's in prison. He doesn't have anything. He, when he's with us, he's kind of poor and ragged looking. Why are we listening to Paul when we have these other teachers who are so impressive? They look so good. They have so much money. People pay them to come and show up and speak big money. We should be listening to them. Why are we listening to Paul? And so Paul is making a kind of argument about why they should listen to him. And why the kind of life that he is living is actually not a sign of God's judgment or a sign that there is not something at work in him. But the irony, and this is so important in the text, the irony is that Paul is actually arguing the struggling, the suffering, the things that he is experiencing is actually because of something good and new and right. Are you with me? So this morning, we find ourselves in 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, beginning at verse 6. If you're able this morning, I'd invite you to stand with me in honor of the Lord's Word as we read verses 6 through 17. So we are always confident because we know that while we are living in the body, we are away from our home with the Lord. We live by faith and not by sight. We are confident and we would prefer to leave the body and be at home with the Lord. So our goal is to be acceptable to him, whether we're at home or away from home. We all must appear before Christ in court so that each person can be paid back for the things that that were done while in the body, whether they were good or bad. So we try to persuade people. Since we know what it means to fear the Lord, we are well known by God, and I hope that in your heart we are well known by you as well. We aren't trying to commend ourselves to you again. Instead, we are giving you an opportunity to be proud of us so that you could answer those who take pride in superficial appearance and not in what is in the heart. 
if we are crazy, which apparently some people are saying we are, it's for God's sake. And if we are rational, it's for your sake. The love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this. One died for the sake of all, therefore all died. He died for the sake of all so that those who are alive should live not for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. So then from this point on, we won't recognize people by human standards. And even though we, even though we used to know Christ by human standards, that is not how we know him now if you have your Bible, please underline this line, especially as part of this community. So then, if anyone is in Christ, that person is part of the new creation. The old things have gone away. New things have arrived. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So I want to tell you three quick stories. Well, we'll see how quick they are. But I want to tell you three quick stories and then think about those stories. So when I graduated from here in 1988, I went, um, I went home to Seattle Aurora. I went home to be my, one of my dad's youth ministers. I got stuck with, I got blessed with the junior hires. <laughs> and I will confess, there were a couple of kids, one in particular who drove me crazy. Now, I, I need to say, I've, I've noticed this to be a common theme in my ministry, that whenever we're at a church, there seem to be a person or two who drive me crazy. I hope this is not a horrible thing for your pastor to confess, but, but when I was a junior high pastor, this one kid in particular is really difficult. He had a tendency to be really disobedient, um, rarely listened, spoke back a lot, oftentimes destroyed stuff. He was that kid where when the list came out of who was going on the trip and I saw it, I would go home and I would say to Debbie, guess who's going on the trip? We're going to need more adults. He just drove me crazy until after a year or two of being his youth minister, I began to know his story. And especially know the story of his home of origin and all that went on there, and all that he'd experienced, and not just in his home of origin, but in the extended family that was just broken and messy. And when I began to understand his story, all of a sudden he stopped being the kid that I didn't want to see and kind of secretly prayed, oh Lord, maybe he has something other than to show up to church tonight to do. But he became the kid that I looked forward to seeing, because I now no longer saw him as a kid who was just constant trouble. But I now saw him, if you will, through a different pair of lenses. I, I saw him with compassion, with the need of grace, with, with the need for a community like this youth group to be a place of inclusion, embrace, safety, care. I have to say, in all these years of ministry now, about 90% of the people who drive me crazy at first, eventually I come, now 10%, but 90%, I eventually come to know their story, who they are, what they've experienced. And once we know that person's story, it doesn't necessarily excuse the behavior, but it gives us a context by which we come to perceive and see and interpret their life, their behavior, who they are differently, right? 
The second story is this. I am a fan of ginger ale. Um, I love it. And I've spent a lot of years kind of searching for the perfect ginger ale. Canada Dry is okay, but if you're a fan of ginger ale, you know it's kind of, eh. it's kind of soda-y. It's got a little ginger in it, but it's just, it's kind of ginger ale for the commoners. Um, and so every once in a while, I would try a ginger beer or a ginger ale that was like home-brewed or sold at some kind of store, but the problem there is oftentimes it gets too gingery. And if you... I, I like just the perfect amount. And so it's not, you know, not too watery and not too gingery. Sometimes if you know what I'm talking about, you can drink some that like have the ginger floating in it. And oftentimes you drink it and it's kind of, <coughs> that's a little too much. But I was in a cafe in Manchester, England, and I saw a ginger beer called Bundaberg, Australian ginger beer. So I thought I would give it a try. So I ordered a sandwich and it was with some friends and I ordered this and I discovered the nectar of the gods. <laughs> um, I discovered what I had searched for most of my life, the perfect ginger beer. It's not too, and it's not too, it's just right. And so I went back, this is a true story, I went back the next three days for lunch, not for the sandwiches, they were okay, but to drink the nectar of the gods, Bundaberg ginger beer. When I got home to Los Angeles, I searched for it. I figured maybe this is only an English thing and I'll, I'll probably have to move there. <laughs> but I found there was one store in Pasadena that carried it. And so I would go there from time to time and they didn't carry it often. And when they had it, they usually only had, it comes in four packs. They only had a couple and I would buy them both and I would hide them. Because the kids can drink ginger ale. This is not drinks for commoners. This is, this is God's ginger beer. <laughs> this, is, this is really good stuff. And you have to travel to England to drink it. And, and so I would, I would hide it and certainly not share it. I remember one time we were having a party in our backyard and my wife threw it in the cooler for commoners to drink. And I immediately pulled it out, put it back in its hiding place. Couldn't share it. This is gold. A few years ago, we were in Costco, and we were going down the aisle where all the drinks are, and there it was, stacked, case after case, <laughs> a Bundaberg ginger beer. Now, if you shop at Costco, you know, every once in a while, they carry stuff just for a time, and so we bought six cases. <laughs> and I wasn't sure it was coming back, so we hit, I hid it. I shared with people who were invaluable to me, both of them. And, um, but I both basically hoarded it until I made sure, and now here's the beauty, Costco keeps carrying it. And so now, the greatest thing has happened to me, I can now be an evangelist of Bundaberg, ginger, <laughs> you know, ginger beer. If you come to my house, you may have one now. I even let my daughters-in-law drink it. <laughs> for there's plenty to go around for us now. My last story. Towards the end of World War II, there was fighting going on in the Pacific, and on a particular island, the island of Lubang in the Philippines, there was fighting taking place between Japanese soldiers and Allied soldiers. And the Allies were winning, and a guy named Hiro Onoda 
and three others escaped into the jungle. What they didn't know is just a couple of days later, World War II ended and the fighting ceased. But Hiru and the others stayed in the jungle. They did not know that the war was over. They stayed there for months. Two ended up dying in the jungle. The Allies were worried about them because they kept raiding farms and they actually killed a couple of people. And so they tried to do things like they flew flyers over the jungle and dropped flyers saying, the war is over, the war is over. And when Hiru and his friend saw the flyers, they were convinced they were being lied to. And if they came out of the jungle, they would be killed. Finally, Hiru's friend decided he'd had enough and he left the jungle. And, and Hiru Onoda spent 29 years in the jungle alone, believing he was fighting a war that had been over for three decades. The point of the first story is this, that faith is primarily about what we see. In fact, we had time this morning, all the texts this morning uh, in the lectionary are, from, are, are about the ways that we see. The Old Testament text is one of my favorites. It's the story of Samuel who's grieving Saul as a king, and God says, how long will you grieve? Go to Jesse's house, have a barbecue. And you know the story, all the sons pass before Jesse and he thinks, oh, surely it must be Eliab, the oldest and studliest. But God says, no, don't look at the outward appearance. The Lord looks, like the text said, the Lord looks at the heart. And so finally, all the brothers pass by, all seven of them, until the, the youngest. Some of you know, it's one of my favorite Hebrew words, the hakatan, the runt of the litter. David comes from the sheep. And it's, that's the one. But it's about how does Samuel see, how does he perceive the world? And faith is about perception. And so the primary story for Paul is this, and, and we've talked about this before, but I don't know that you were listening. So one more time. You can't understand Paul's theology unless you understand that Paul thinks of the world in kind of two eras, two time periods, two epochs. The old creation, or the time of the flesh, Paul calls it, was a time where we were separated from God. And God was trying to reveal himself and form a people, but more often than not, we chased after various forms of idolatry. But we were trying to, and Paul thought, if we could be holy enough, God would receive us, accept us, and then we would enter into a new time at some point when the resurrection would happen and God's kingdom would be enacted and we would reign with Christ or we would reign with his Messiah. That's the old. What Paul is shocked at is that when Jesus came, he came as an embodiment of that new creation. The spirit of the Lord was empowered him to embody and proclaim that the kingdom of God is not just coming, but is now here. And it's lived out in his life and embodied in his crucifixion. But here's the crazy part. Christ was raised from the dead. Paul says that over and over again. And it's very important that you understand this. Jesus didn't come back from the dead, as I say so often. That's cool. We had uh, Ron Hutter's funeral this week. And it was so sweet this week to kind of close out the, the old carpet and pews with the time to celebrate Ron and Fern who'd been so much a part of this church and then to have the Curtis wedding Friday night and 
Somebody like Brad who was dedicated at that altar to also get married at that altar. There, there's something so beautiful about that. But Ron's body was there in the service this week. Now, this didn't happen, but if Ron had sat up during the service, we'd have had something to talk about this week. <laughs> it had gone viral. When Lazarus came back from the dead, that was cool. When Jairus' daughter came back from the dead, that was awesome. When Elijah breathed life back into the widow's son, wow, great story. Here's the problem. They died of something else. They came back from the dead, but they didn't resurrect from the dead. This is so critical. For Paul, the crazy part is Jesus raised from the dead. What was supposed to happen at the end, the resurrection, now broke into the middle. Death no longer has dominion over him. So you won't get Paul unless you get this part. To be a Christian is not to do your best until you get to this thing that will come someday. To be Christian for Paul is to enter into the waters of baptism and put to death, he says in Romans 6, to put to death the old life, the life of the flesh, and to come out of the water now participating in the reign of the Spirit and to identify with the resurrection of Christ so that the old creation has gone away and behold, Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, they are now part of the new creation. And they live in that, embody that. Now, it hasn't come in its fullness, but we are people who are participating in this new creation as foretaste of this new creation. And if you've been with us, you should have that part down. But here's the problem Paul has. The Corinthians, he feels like, are still seeing not only him, but themselves and their life through the lenses of the old creation. So they are judging him, they are judging each other, they're judging their lives based on this old time period of the flesh. And so they keep doing things like gathering together and the rich get to eat first and the poor have to wait or they're continually divided against each other, or they're having this conversation about, is Paul blessed or not? But the problem is, they are interpreting their life through that old creation. And Paul says, that's not how we interpret any longer. You see, Paul says, if we were part of the old creation, we would interpret Jesus this way, as a monumental failure. As a messianic figure who came to lead a people only to wind up on a cross, and to be buried on the outside of the city. As somebody who claimed to be something that clearly was not, because look at how it ended. But Paul says, that's not how we see Christ any longer. In fact, for a time, that's how Paul understood Christ. As a failed messianic figure who people somehow still believed in, and the more they confessed that, the more they were eroding the very faith. And so Paul not only thought, thanks be to God, somebody crucified Jesus, we should persecute these people who continue to tell these kinds of lies because clearly what they're proclaiming is not true. But Paul says, that's when I used to see that through the old creation eyes. I now no longer see Christ that way. I now understand 
that what he was doing was actually the very fulfillment of that whole story God was doing, and now the new has come. You with me? And so much like that young man who, who I saw one way until I, I knew a story that helped me see him differently. Paul says this new creation story now changes all the ways we see Christ, but it changes all the ways we see one another. We interpret others differently. My second story, my silly ginger, ginger beer, ginger ale story. At some level, it's my goofy version of a story that I've told you before, um, to borrow the famous Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann's language. It's the story of the myth of scarcity versus the liturgy of abundance. When I thought you had to fly to England to drink this, and you could only buy four at a time in Los Angeles, I was not going to share it with anybody. But if you can buy it at Costco, come on over. We can drink it all day long. Why? Because I'm no longer shaped by the fear that there won't be enough for me. But I now realize, oh, no. There is enough for all. You see, part of what Paul understands as part of the, the old creation is a kind of myth of scarcity that, that caused us to fear there, there would not be enough stuff, there would not be enough goodness, and there would not be enough grace, there would not be enough mercy, there would not be enough for everyone. And so in some ways, the lure was always to the gods of fertility who would make sure we got stuff. And unfortunately for Paul, oftentimes the people of God then interpreted their life through that same kind of lens and they turned Yahweh into a kind of God of fertility who would make sure that they always had, they had enough, but not everybody, but them. You won't get the golden idol story in the book of Exodus if you don't understand that. Moses, who embodied the powerful presence of God that brought goodness to them was gone. So where are they going to get that? Maybe we have to go to the other gods that promised that. And so we, we live in this kind of conflict of fear of the other, making sure that we will have enough for us and we define us in those kinds of categories of us and them in all sorts of levels. And so Paul looks at this era of the flesh and says, think of how we defined ourselves. We defined ourselves ethnically or culturally or familially. We created all these boundary lines that make sure we are taken care of and everybody else is on their own. Just to go back a bit, I would argue that that's why God put the people in the wilderness in the first place. So there wouldn't be food there. And he would let them know, he'll make sure there's daily bread. But now Paul recognizes the new creation has come. We no longer have to live in a kind of myth of scarcity, but now we can live with a liturgy of abundance that no longer keeps those dividing lines in place, but now recognizes Christ died for all. For all. And now we, that one who has died for all, has brought us all into this new creation. 
And all those ways that we used to interpret each other and define each other, those are no more for those who are in the new creation. And we no longer have to live with the fears that shaped us, but we can now live with the joy of generosity and abundance and goodness because they sell Bundaberg ginger beer at Costco. Come on over. We got plenty. And we can share. Are you with me? The third story about that poor Japanese fighter who stayed in the jungle for three decades fighting a war that was over. Paul is saying, listen, in the old creation, we not only worship gods of fertility, we worship gods of war and violence. Why? Because in that world that was so deeply divided by a kind of scarcity and a myth of scarcity, in that world, we constantly then saw the other as threat. Therefore, we operated as though this God is our God. You can have this God, but you have to join us, and we have to think about what that means. We'll consider you for, for membership. And the way we knew if gods were on your side or not was how powerful you became. For certainly the sign that God has blessed somebody is how big and powerful and mighty they are. That's the old creation. But now, if you have your Bible still open, look at these next verses. This is verse 18. All of these new things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and who gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, God was reconciling the world to himself through Christ, not counting people's sins against them. He has trusted us with this message of reconciliation. So we are ambassadors who represent Christ. God is negotiating with you through us. We beg you as Christ's representatives, be reconciled to God. God caused the one who didn't know sin to be sin for our sake, that, so that through him we could become the righteous of God. And since we work together with him, we are also begging you not to receive the grace of God in vain. He says, I listened to you at the right time and I helped you on the day of salvation. And look, now is the right time. Look, now is the day of salvation. You're not excited. That is so radical. Paul is saying, listen, in the old creation, the creation of flesh, we divided Jew and Gentile, male and female, slave and free. And in other places, he will say, now in Christ Jesus, we have been reconciled together. There is no longer Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. We're all what? One in Christ Jesus. And now we've been given this ministry of reconciliation. We are part of a new creation. In other words, we are fighting a war that is over. We are participating in habits and practices that are part of an old world. Not now. You are part of a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Now, if you're with me this morning, you're thinking, I love him, but he has lost his mind. But that is not the way the world works. There is not enough for everyone. Well, no, not if you play Pharaoh and hoard it. 
There's not enough for everyone. And as my philosopher office partner used to say, and that's pretty talk, Scott. But the world is very broken and divided. If you sense that tension, you'll understand why Paul says this. Some of you think I'm crazy. But if you think I'm crazy, it's because of God. Because a new has come. And now Paul can say this. Here's his frustration with the Corinthians. They are still viewing him through the lens of the flesh. They're saying Paul can't be blessed. He spends half his time in prison. And he doesn't have any money. Surely the people God has blessed are these powerful, wealthy teachers. And so what bothers Paul is not so much that it hurts his feelings that they're saying bad things about him, posting ugly things on Facebook. What bothers Paul is they are still looking at life through the old creation. Because what Paul is experiencing is the exact same sufferings that Christ experienced as the agent of a new creation. For Christ was not suffering because God had cursed him. Christ was suffering because when the new breaks in, the old resists it. And so for Paul, he's saying, listen, I am suffering and struggling because it is so hard for the imagination of the old to embrace the imagination of the new. And not just for Rome, but for the religious. And so, yeah, I'm suffering. But here's the thing. Paul says, if I died, I would know this. That all of a sudden, I would awaken in the resurrection. And the life that I was living would no longer be exile and strange. It would now be home. Where people from every race and tribe and language and nation are gathered around the throne. What I have been living would have come to a home reality. And so bring it on. And if I don't die and Christ return, the veil will be lifted and then that statement about judgment is this, the veil would be lifted and I would be shown to have been right. And all those who are playing in the old would realize, oh man, get out of the jungle, the war's over. Why are you fighting wars that are done? Why are you hoarding things when there's an abundance? Why are you still looking at each other the old way when the new has come? Paul essentially says, if Christ comes, I will be vindicated. And the works that I do will be, have, be judged as right in the light of the new creation. And so, sisters and brothers, I, I love this new creation talk. But I wanted to say today, it's not cute talk that just seems to fit well with our initials. Although that's really cool, isn't it? I st it's been six years and I still, I'm not over it. I love that we get to be a new creation community. 
but my prayer for me, for us together, is the prayer Paul has for the Corinthians that they would have the eyes to see. It's no wonder Jesus has to heal so many blind people. That we would have the eyes to see each other. Not according to the flesh, but according to the possibilities of the Spirit. I would drive you far less crazy if you would look at me that way. We would love each other so much more deeply if we could see each other through the eyes of a new creation. But as a church, we are not in the business of trying to help people be nicer and hopefully get to heaven. And we're certainly not in the business of trying to take Christ and fit him into the gods of accumulation and security. We're not. And if we are, we are not proclaiming the gospel. And may it all fall apart. But we are proclaiming a new creation where the old is gone and the new has come and is coming. It is a life we can only live in the power of the Spirit, and it is a life that will entail suffering because the old does not receive the new well. And by the way, if you think we're crazy, it's for God. And about the time the world thinks we're crazy, we're probably on the right track. We want to be a people who, if we die, we awaken in a life, oh, we knew it was like this. And if Christ comes, we will be validated for the crazy, spirit-filled, new creation life we are living. God help us today. This language Paul uses is so strange. This invitation is so beyond us. It is far easier to turn this faith into a way of forming nice people who still constantly fight for self and security. Have mercy, have mercy, have mercy. Empower us to put to death the old day after day after day and to receive the new. I pray you would touch the spiritual vision for us as a congregation. I think part of what that means is all these folks who are coming into our neighborhoods, we will not see them as threat were too many cars at the four-way stop. But we will see them as sisters and brothers who may not know it yet. But as people for whom you have died 
and have brought reconciliation both with you and with each other. And so may we see our neighbor that way. Whatever place or color, background that neighbor comes from. I pray you would help us in all the places you send us as a church to be outposts of the new creation, not because it's a cute name and we can do great graphics, but because there is a reality of a people who have put to death the old and are learning to come to the new in you. Help us to be a people who hunger and thirst for the world to be set right, whose hearts are pure, and who if we suffer, we suffer for the labor pains of a new creation. For we pray this in the name of the one who we follow as the way, the one who brought the new creation. We pray this in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And God's people said, Amen.